Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Part two of True Crime Tangents of the podcast. Is this place haunted? Well, this week we're going to do a little haunted hybrid with True Crime. How exciting. How are you, Lauren? Yep, really good. Really good. Been a really productive week, obviously. Good news all around. Good news all around. I won't go into any detail this week because when you think about it, something might happen like bad. But we, we don't manifest that. Let's not give power to that. We don't. We don't. So it's been a really good week and everything that I am thankful for has come true. Um, so grateful for you. And also the True Crime episode last week went down a treat. It did That's actually. Guys, people seem to really like the the hybrid. And my friends, like a few of my friends were like, so I put a case file up with the crime scene photos and I was like, trigger warning. These are brutal. Um, and a lot of people contacted me like, I didn't realise how brutal it actually was mm-hmm. until I listened to the podcast. Um, it's so well known, but yeah, I feel like I feel like an affinity with Elizabeth Short because I've spent so long mm-hmm. looking into her and stuff and I'm just like, oh my God, the download from Patreon. So we've just done, we've just done our Patreon episode and it records as a video <laughs> And there's still, like, I literally look like a scarecrow with massive boobs. I'm, like, <laughs> stretching like this. <laughs> so bad. Um, no. so that distracted me. Um, so, yeah, we've had some good news this week. I've had good news job-wise. You've had good news situation-wise. Mm-hmm. And we're just vibing. I know. Um, I'm looking forward to this week's episode, though, because I've actually been thinking about the case, like, since you did it last week. Mm-hmm. It is really... And like your friends were saying, or like other people have been saying, um, I had no idea just how graphic the murder was. It's pretty shocking. I think as well, thinking the fact that she was 22 when it happened. I know. 
So young? So young. She's a baby or whatever, I suppose. So there was... Well, just jump right in. Yeah, let's go for it. Hey guys, just popping in to give a trigger warning. This episode will have descriptions of sexual assault and murder. If that's something you find difficult or triggering, please write off listening to this episode and tune in next week instead. There's quite a, there's a lot of suspects that are on the list. So I have narrowed it down to my personal top five. Mm-hmm. I think they're most likely. I definitely have a number one suspect in mind. Let's see if you guys agree with me. Um, but at the end, the end, I'm going to talk through where Elizabeth has still been saved to this day. There's still people on TikTok that have made contact with Elizabeth Short's ghost. So I hope she's at peace. I really do. Maybe it's just like residual or or something. I don't know. She's not coming through in distress and she's not sighted to be in distress. She's just kind of mm-hmm. passing through. Um, but I really, truly hope that she's at peace because what happened to her was just awful. Just awful, awful, awful. So mm-hmm. last week we left off with how she had died and, you know, the autopsy results and a little bit of anger from my part. A few people contacted me being like, you were very angry. That's like quite rightfully so though. The way she was treated was just horrendous. Of course. And then I was like, am I scary? And they were like, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's get into suspects. Do you know anything about this at all? No, I, I literally, I, I know nothing about this case. Um, I feel actually sh- ashamed. Well, I'm going to ask you to take some... You have to take physical notes, but keep notes, right? And at the end, let me know who you think this could be. Okay. Right? Okay, coming in at number five, we've got a Robert who was nicknamed Red Manly. Now, if you remember from last week's episode, he was the last person to ever see Elizabeth alive before she disappeared, but actually was murdered. He was a top suspect um, in the first kind of week after Elizabeth was found, he did two polygraph tests and he actually had a solid alibi um, and he passed the polygraph test. So he was set free and he was kind of contacted by the police after Elizabeth's handbag and one of her shoes were discovered in a, in a bin a few days after the murder. And they were several miles from where she was found. He had been discharged from the army for a mental disability after suffering nervous breakdowns and he was hallucinating and hearing voices and he was committed to a state hospital by his wife about seven years after and he died in 1986 after an accidental fall. Now there's literally no other evidence tying him to this crime scene. I don't think he did it. No. He's got an alibi. I don't think he did it. Yeah. I just think he was the last person that happened to see her alive. That's an unfortunate Mm -hmm. coincidence. Coming in at number four is a Norman Chandler. So you might recognize this name. He was a publisher of Los Angeles Times at the time. And he was listed as one of the top suspects by the police in this murder. They basically proposed, and this is such a complicated situation, so I'm going to try and simplify it as much as possible. They proposed that he impregnated Elizabeth Short while she was working as a prostitute for a notorious Hollywood madam mistress named Brenda Allen. 
And there's been people, and there's a really good podcast about this that I can put in the show notes. There's been a couple of people who have witnessed hits being done on her behalf. So it's not completely out of the realms of what's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and Bugsy Siegel, who was like a kind of mobster at the time, was a hitman. Mm-hmm. And the, the an author of a book about the, su- the subject said that Bugsy Siegel had done a hit on Elizabeth after she became pregnant with Norman Chandler's baby. So they basically claimed that Elizabeth worked as a prostitute and um, after she was pregnant, they wiped her out because they didn't want her to ruin this man's career as a publisher in the early times. However, the autopsy said super plainly that she was absolutely not pregnant. So again, this kind of, that kind of dispels this whole theory for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Important to bear it in mind. Now we're getting to the top three and things are becoming a little bit more incriminating. So number three, we've got a Dr. Walter Bailey. So he was a Los Angeles surgeon, which is important to note given how precisely she was cut in half. Mm-hmm. He lived in a house that was one block away from the lot where her body was found. And he lived there until he left his wife a year after Elizabeth was found murdered. And at the time of the murder, his estranged, um, sorry, the year before, not a year after, at the time of the murder, his estranged wife was still living in that home. And his daughter was actually a friend of Elizabeth's sister. And had actually been, Elizabeth had actually been the maid of honour. Elizabeth's sister had been the maid of honour at this wedding. And he died about one year after Elizabeth was found and his autopsy showed that he was suffering from a degenerative brain disease. After his death, his widow, his estranged wife, um, said that his mistress at the time knew a terrible secret about him and claimed that that's the reason that she received his life insurance rather than his estranged wife. He was never a formal suspect in the case, but many other medical doctors and other with medical training were because of how precisely they could cut a body in half. And then in a secret testimony, a detective, who was one of the original investigators on the case, said that in his opinion, the killer was a top medical man and a fine surgeon. He was 67 at the time of the murder. He had no kind of violent history or whatever, but there is a proposition that this degenerative brain disease caused him to hallucinate and act out and had a stark personality change. Wow. could have feasibly committed the murder mm-hmm. to me that's kind of hearsay yeah but i do genuinely think this is a medical person who did this so mm-hmm. it's a little bit more likely than the other two for me ringing in at number two no i just can't wait to get to number one because it's wild it's absolutely wild so number two is a mark hansen so mark hansen owned the hollywood nightclub that elizabeth was living near. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth lived with him as a kind of boarder or a guest or rented a room for a few months from him. At this time, his girlfriend, who's named Anne, shared a room with Elizabeth. And she actually made a phone call to Hansen from San Diego in one week before the murder. Mm-hmm. So that makes him one of the last people to speak to Elizabeth before she died. Apparently he made statements and then made another statement that totally contradicted everything that he said. He wasn't very um, 
there wasn't a corroboration between the two statements to what he was saying. And then the the killer actually started mailing ransom, kind of ransom notes. That's not the right word, but do you know the, the notes that have like cutouts of magazine letters on them? Those yeah. They were mailing the Los Angeles Examiner basically saying that they were Elizabeth's killer and they were going to hand themselves in and then they never did. And just kind of playing cat and mouse, it kind of given Zodiac vibes. And um, they actually mailed some of Elizabeth's belongings to the Los Angeles Examiner. And in that was an address book that was embossed with the name Mark Hansen on it. Wow. That's strange. That is strange. The letter claimed that that was mailed from the killer and the address book was embossed with his name. So obviously it belonged to him. What dumbass. He reports he had never used it and she'd been using it as hers. But witnesses, other people involved in the case, we don't know who, said that basically Mark Hansen had tried to seduce Elizabeth, but she rejected him. And this made him one of the first kind of serious suspects for the police to look into. And he was considered a prime suspect for a few years after the murder. And he was linked to three other suspects, each of whom was a medical doctor. I was going to list their names, but you don't need to know their names. He basically had alliances with three medical doctors who were people of interest in this case. An article was written about Elizabeth's murder in the LAPD newsletter. And the people who read that and were alerted to a gangster squad that had been involved with Mark Hansen. And somebody who was in that gangster squad named Mark Hansen as Elizabeth's killer. Now, by name, and apparently, Mark Hansen had actually spent some time in Sweden's medical surgical school because he was Swedish, and that would explain why he was able to precisely dissect Elizabeth's body. Wow, yeah, and apparently, um, Mark Hansen held these fancy AF parties in his Hollywood house. And members of the LAPD, along with the chief of detectives, had came and aided him in a cover-up. He also mentioned that um, Mark Hansen's car was seen going up and down a lot from where he lived to that parking lot where Elizabeth was found. So, well, this well, is for, for me, I think he seems like the most obvious subject of doing this. So far. So far. So he actually died of natural causes in 1964. There was no charges. There was no criminal record. He had no history of violence. LAPD police chief said that there was absolutely no case against Mark Hansen. But if they were aiding him in a cover-up, they would say that, right? They would. Uh, listen, listening to true crime and, li- and being interested in true crime makes me not trust police. <laughs> yeah, like, especially the LAPD at any time are totally like that's like their bread and butter are we ready for suspect number one shoot from the hip okay now this is a quite a well-known name so i'm sure people who know this case know that's name number one suspect for me is a dr george hodell so george hodell was a physician who studied medicine in the 1930s a side note, when that procedure of a hemicorporectomy was taught. So compelling is the case against George that his own son 
who is a retired LAPD homicide detective, is adamant that his father is Elizabeth's killer. So let's talk through why. Reason that Steve Hodel thinks his father did this. He found a photo album in his dad's house. And in this photo, there was a lady who was lying down with her eyes closed, not looking at the camera. Now he is convinced that this is Elizabeth in this photo. Abel posts on her socials. I'm not convinced to be honest that it is Elizabeth in that photo, but everything else is compelling against George Hodel. So after finding that photo though, it kind of instilled a little sense of investigative journalism in him against his dad. And he kind of pulled a little further at thread and he found that George's handwriting matched the letters that were sent to police, ones that were handwritten. George Hodel had also purchased concrete bags a few weeks prior to the murder and these matched the bags that were found by Elizabeth at the crime scene. Now Steve Hodel has actually published a book about this theory in 2003 and he was absolutely astounded when a journalist contacted him with even more evidence against his dad. So there's an LA Times columnist called Steve Lopez and he had actually contacted the district attorney in the case for more evidence and information to see if there's anything kind of that he could look into. And they actually sent Lopez a number of files. And the, he learned from that that the police had not only suspected George Hodel, but they'd actually bugged his house for years. Oh my God. In February of 1950, a recording device picked up a female scream. And it actually later recorded George Hodel on a phone call saying, realised there was nothing I could do. Put a pillow over her head and covered her with a blanket. Get a taxi. Expired 12.59. They thought there was something fishy. Anyway, they might have figured it out. I killed her. His voice was also captured saying, supposing I did kill the Black Dahlia. They can't prove it now. They can't talk to my secretary anymore because she's dead. <gasps> so who's a secretary? This would be 27-year-old Ruth Spaulding, who was found to have completed suicide. She was 27 and she took an overdose of barbiturates. Why is this suspicious? Oh, because George Hodel was present the whole time and then he burned her belongings before he called the police. What? He was never charged or looked into for this. But why would he kill his secretary? Oh, because she was a whistleblower who was about to tell the police about him. (laughs) Documents show that Ruth was about to expose his dark sides. Firstly, she was aware of him committing financial fraud. He was charging patients for medical investigations and procedures that he hadn't actually done. But secondly, there was a massive suspicion from lots of people from looking into this that George Hodel was performing illegal abortions. And these were particularly for the kind of Hollywood elite or sex workers who had been impregnated by LAPD officers. The corruption is wild in this case, guys. She was ready to expose him for what what he was. And perhaps very suspiciously, around this time, he fled to China to work with UN relief efforts. So she's found dead. He burns her belongings. And they're like, oh, she killed herself. That's that's crazy. Now, this isn't all enough. After this, he was arrested after his own daughter, Tamar, accused him of incest and rape. Oh, my God. He alleged that she became pregnant and he performed an illegal abortion on her, like he'd been alleged to do with many other people. 
He took nude photos of her. He forced her to perform oral sex on him. And she actually had a child when she was 15, who's called Fauna Hodel. There's a whole podcast series about this by the Hodel family. It's called Root of Evil, and I can't recommend it enough. But it sounds like there was trauma passed on from Tamar to them. And Fauna was actually, she wasn't formally put up for adoption. She was kind of passed on to somebody. I I won't tell the whole story because it's so long. But basically, somebody, I think a, a nightclub attendant was approached. And she was a black woman. And they said, we've got a... um. We've got a half black, half white baby here that needs a home while you take her. And then she gets handed this like ginger white baby. <laughs> but she's raised to believe that she is genuinely mixed race, half, half African American. Yeah. And only like through her life did she realize where she was actually from. And she's spoken to her granddad, George Hodel, and a wild rabbit hole to go down. But her age and her birthday times with the incest. So oh my god! Alleged that her grandfather is also her father. That's so fucked. So fucked. So fucked. So George goes to trial for the incest and rape, but he had a dream legal team. He hired a lawyer to the celebrities called Jerry Geisler. And they painted Tamar as this mentally unstable person, a teenager who didn't know what she was talking about, and instilled the sense that Tamar was an unreliable subject. Furthermore, one of the witnesses was actually paid off by the, by the attorneys. Oh, the corruption, guys. The corruption is overwhelming. That's so bad. Her own mother and her own grandmother attested to her mental illness, said that she was a compulsive liar. Now, she had apparently falsely confused uh, confused, accused 19 high school students previously of raping her and ultimately George was committed, committed, I wish, acquitted because of this. But like, either way, like, to me, either her father has raped her or she's lying about the fact that her father's raped her, but they were still like, on oh, you go home with them. Yeah. There's a red flag here either way, guys. Like, she should be sent her home with her dad. So whether you believe her or not, I personally do. Just mm-hmm. awful. So after the police kind of caught wind of all of this going on, <laughs> Grand Jury named Hodel as one of the main five suspects in the Black Dahlia killing. And this was in October 1950. And by April 1951, the LAPD were poised to arrest him. He was somehow alerted to this by an insider and he fled to Hawaii for three years before settling in the Philippines. And he was never charged with anything. That's so crazy. And I looked into this and I thought, it's because he fled, you know, the reason they never got caught. But actually with US laws, he could have been extradited back if there was strong enough evidence for an arrest. So unsure what happened, why he slipped in the net. But let's go back and look at George as a human being. George was born in 1907 and he was a child prodigy. He had an IQ of 186, which is one point higher than Einstein. He excelled everything he was a piano virtuoso you know play piano to any level a polymath an intellectually gifted child he graduated high school at 15 years old and attended college at 15 Hmm. he went to college at california um, institute of technology originally 
And he actually, and bearing in mind he was 15 when he went to college, he had became sexually involved with one of his professor's wives. I mean, if he wasn't such a bastard, what a legend. (laughs) (laughs) Such a bastard, though. Um, This became a massive scandal when this woman became pregnant, teenage George. Can I just say, if this was a, a male professor and a female student, I think things would have been very different. Yeah, probably. Double standards. Anyway, um... He desperately wanted to be with her and was kind of swept up in the romance of it all, but she gave him a massive cream pie. So he was forced to leave the college. (laughs) Sorry. And her marriage completely fell apart. And throughout the 20s and 30s, he was married twice and had children with the two different women. And by 1932, he had graduated from Berkeley pre-med, and then he gained his medical degree from the University of California in 1936. Within a few years, he was an esteemed physician and and he had a very highly sought after medical clinic he became head of social hygiene bureau of los angeles and he was moving around in the most affluent hollywood circles he befriended a photographer man ray and it's proven that this photographer was taking nude photos of like 12 13 year old tamar who's his daughter that's compelling for me that his dad uh, her dad is a horrible bastard oh yeah for sure um, George was particularly interested in dark surrealism and art and he enjoyed the kind of artistic view of the dark side of Hollywood decadence, think Gatsby vibes and he loved depictions of sadomasochism and he was unfaithful incessantly um, which his one of his wives, he had many, uh, was completely aware of. Um, he was described as a womanizer by all who knew him, and he had countless temporary mistresses, one of whom was reported to be none other than Elizabeth Sharp. So, I, in my heart of hearts, believe George Waddell is the killer. Me too, by the way. Uh, he was a horrible bastard, either way. I truly do believe so. But... I don't know if you've seen the Ghost Adventures episode on the Black Dahlia. I have. That's in George Waddell's house. Really? So that's where that investigation was was um, undertaken. And this is where Steve Waddell found those photos that he spoke about of Elizabeth. Well, what Huey thinks is Elizabeth. I actually don't think it is Elizabeth in those photos, but I'll put them up so people can make their own decision. Mm-hmm. Um, but this house that he lived in, um, I can't remember the actual, I think it's called the Sawson House. Um, I'm going to take this bit out. I'm just going to find it. The Soudan House. Soudan House um, was basically owned by this like, super fancy theatrical guy who enlisted um, Lloyd Wright, who was a famous architect at the time, and he built it. He wanted it to look like a Mayan temple. So he built this house, and I'll put photos of this on our Instagram as well, but it's nicknamed the Jaws House because it literally kind of looks like a great white shark's mouth is wide open. Oh. It does look like a Mayan temple to me. And it was originally built to, you know, host theatrical parties, darling. 
um, mm. to have parties. And then George Hodel actually bought this house um, in the early 40s. And his son, Steve Hodel, is so convinced that his father has has murdered not only Elizabeth, but other people, that he got cadaver dogs to come look at the house and they alerted that the, there's been murders in the house and potential buried victims in the basement or the backyard. Oh my God. So they have indicated there's a presence of human remains on the property, but there's never been an excavation of it. And the Southern House, like I said, is where that episode of Ghost Adventures was. I was going to put clips in this episode and then I was like, copyright? Am I allowed to do that? But there is an episode of Ghost Adventures on this that is really good if you're interested in the spiritual side of it. And they capture a man and a woman's voice kind of coming through together on the spirit box. And then what's really weird is they use the SLS camera, which for people who don't know what it is, it kind of uses dots to map out human bodies or figures of whatever sort, human or otherwise. Mm-hmm. And they map this figure in the bathroom that literally looks like a surgeon scrubbing and doing stuff. That's the only way I can describe it. It's so bizarre. So definitely worth a watch if it's something you're you're interested in. But this is all like all all roads I feel lead to George Waddell. Yeah, I would one hundred percent agree. It's just like the fact that he was never questioned, and like I just so wish DNA had been around then. You know, like we could get justice for Elizabeth. So that brings us to the end of the suspects. So I'm going to just touch upon briefly the ghost of Elizabeth Short that's been seen. Elizabeth Short's apparition has been seen many times in the Biltmore Hotel, which is one of the places where she was last seen. She is particularly seen frequenting the lobby and on the 10th and 11th floors of the Biltmore. Nobody knows where Elizabeth's room is in this hotel, but obviously, given the fact that she's seen there, we can presume it was the 10th or 11th floor. And as a side note, the ghost of a nurse in an old-fashioned uniform is also seen on the 10th floor. When I read that, I was like, I hope she's looking after Elizabeth. (laughs) <laughs> I really hope she is um, the hotel you can still stay in today and they've honoured the late Elizabeth with a cocktail called the Black Dahlia it sounds quite rank it's vodka, raspberry liqueur and Kahlua Kahlua's coffee right? yeah I would actually drink that, that sounds great coffee and raspberry? No. oh yeah oh no but I would have a wee toast to Elizabeth in her life if I was there. Um, and this is even more compelling for me for George Hodel as a suspect. Her apparition has also been seen in his old house. Oh, well then 100%. Uh, so this is a home, like I said, that was um, designed to be Mayan revival by an architect called Lloyd Wright. It's built in 1926 and it's nicknamed the Jaws House, like I said, and it was commissioned by that retired ar- artist where they would host theatrical performances. I feel like we would thrive. <laughs> <laughs> I have parties like that I would and so would you <laughs> um, and then George Waddell bought that in 1945 the neighbourhood that this is in is like a middle class neighbourhood and it was described as a flower filled enclave home to silent movie stars and middle class professionals the fact that she's seen there for me is a cincher absolutely so I truly believe George Hodel did it. If you want to look more in more into this case, 
listen to the Root of Evil podcast, his whole family get together and have basically done a podcast series on growing up in the hotel family and it is fucked. I am 100% like subscribing to that right now. I've been looking for a new podcast. Really good. The True Crime and Cocktails episode on the Black Dahlia is chef's kiss. So good. So respectful. But I really want this to be a testament to Elizabeth, who she was as a person, and is really sad that she never got the justice she deserves. I know. Awful. And I really hope she's at peace in the afterlife. To be, be fair, this, this smells of a total cover-up. So it's obviously been someone who's highfalutin, connected to the... Like, you know, is obviously providing a service to either authorities, Hollywood. Somebody knows something. And the fact that, like you said, it's so... it's It was so, like, surgically done. Like, you know what I mean? It's like Jack the Ripper. You know what I mean? Like... It's also, like... I don't think I mentioned this, because I don't think it was formally mentioned in the autopsy, but her body was obviously drained of blood. I spoke about that, but... She was cleaned on the outside with gasoline. Her skin was cleaned. So who would know to do that? It's I mean, is that specific. That, yeah, is that a practice though, or were they going to burn her? Like, uh, being wiped. Like the time taken to do this. The fact, and reading into that made me think: Is it more than one person? Surely, more than one person knows what's happened to her. Oh, for sure. <sighs> I don't know, but hope you enjoyed the little walkthrough. To be honest with you, I only did the five suspects as a formality because I was like, it's judge. The thing is, you said he's like got masochistic tendencies as well. So maybe this was like a complete dark fantasy that someone, it has to be for the way it was done and how she was left. There's human remains in his house. He raped his own daughter. And also, like, Elizabeth was found with ligature marks on her hands, her, her wrists and ankles. The winds the winds are blowing me to George Waddell, you know? Yeah, I'd agree. I kind of thought number three might be the suspect at first. I was like, he seems like he could be, but no, I def- you're right, it's this guy. This guy. Um, ugh, I'm just really sad she never got justice, but... I would like to say that, like, I don't think people should be dressing as her for Halloween. No, I think that's really inappropriate, especially with, like, the markings and things. That's really weird. Really disrespectful. Really disrespectful, inappropriate. But, by the way, thank you. I, you've, I've learned more about this case in the last 35 minutes than my whole life. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I hope you guys liked it. And if you do like it and you enjoy the podcasts, why don't you head over to our Patreon? patreon.com slash is this place haunted we'll do four extra episodes a month for three pound three pound rate and review us we really appreciate it and it really helps us and i've seen that a few more people have done the spotify rating so thank you so much if there's anything you want to to hear to to see let us know send us a wee message on instagram at is this place haunted podcast we really do listen to you guys and we see you and we also have just i have paid for our red circle of curiosity to see who's listening and there's a lot of us listeners and we see you i know thank you for taking the time guys 
Um, and it'll be my episode next week. So now I'm going to have to pull my finger out because you did the last two. So maybe I'll have to do the next two. Oh, no pressure. This was just, that was just too much for one episode. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to fit all of this and last week's? Oh, like, it's just so much information that my brain hurt. I know. We'd have to do like a three hour one, like bloody true crime and cocktails. Which I do love them for it. Yeah, I do love them for it as well. They're really good. I might listen to that episode now, actually. It's really, really good. It's really good. I wouldn't expect any less from those gals. Me neither. But thank you so much for listening, guys. We'll see you next week back to our normal regime of ghosts. <laughs> Ghosty tales. <laughs> Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.